Welcome to Just Checking In. I'm Becky Buckman. And I'm Kiana Corliss. Each week, we'll use humor, a little irony, and definitely some self-deprecation to dive into the world of high-tech corporate comms. We'll use our expertise and less-than-serious take on the tech news cycle to bring you the best in the business across comms and media for one-of-a-kind insights and perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Get ready to laugh and maybe even start a tweet thread. This is Just Checking In. Becky, I'm not allowed to call you a rock star anymore. You know this? No, not after Workday's uh, funny Super Bowl ad, you're not. I laughed the hardest in the room, but that was maybe because I was the only one who worked in tech. (laughs) But I I literally call everybody a rock star. So if you didn't watch this, which you should go watch it, Workday did an amazing commercial for the Super Bowl with actual rock stars. So like Ozzy Osbourne, who else was on it? Aging rock stars. It might've been Joan Jett, like Billy Idol. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Aging rock stars, although they all look great. And it said, basically like, stop calling people rock stars. You're not rock stars. We're rock stars. I I thought it was super clever, but it spoke to me and I'm sure it spoke to you as well, because as a communicator, one of our chief jobs is to fight jargon. Rockstar is not jargon, but it's one of these silly corporate speak things that has become mainstream over the years. And it is like, it is kind of silly. So I thought it was clever. Who else did one? CrowdStrike did. um, I hadn't seen it. I was apparently cooking and missed all the ads when they actually came on, but CrowdStrike had... A Super Bowl spot, no crypto. Notice no crypto. There was no year. crypto, but there no. there was no crypto, um, which was great. There were also not many QR codes. It felt like last year there were no like QR codes. That's out. That 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 rose is out. And fell, that trend. I enjoyed the Breaking Bad ad just as a fan personally of Breaking Bad That's, to see Tuco my getting was excited a about a new product. Yeah, that was good. Big fan. I also shout out to um, Cher Horowitz. Coming oh back. yeah, <laughs> that was I amazing. Mean, she and she looks. Alicia Silverstone looks the same to me as she did when she. They both was looked the same. Clueless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was amazing. Comms people watched the Super Bowl too. That's our lesson. But we're getting back into the trenches of journalism with our interview today. We are. So we've got Laura Bachelor. If you don't do a lot of broadcast, you might not know her, but you should. She is the senior most producer over at. CNBC um, out in the Bay Area doing a lot of tech coverage. She's awesome. And she's going to give you guys a lot of insight into sort of, you know, how they get folks on broadcast. And, you know, it is a different beast pitching and landing broadcast interviews than, you know, print ones. So I think that'll be really good. So when we taped this episode, which wasn't too long ago, we talked a lot about Tech Check, which is the big tech morning show, morning morning show, right? They're doing actually something really cool there. They've since changed the game. And I think starting next week or starting soon, Tech Check will be no longer. But what they're going to do is actually weave in more tech news throughout the day, which I think is going to be great because then you've got more chances to get your your folks on there. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, as you said, Kiana, broadcast is a totally different beast than print. Um, often it's harder to get. I think it's a different skill set for executives who need to go on TV. Not everybody can do it well. You know, if you can, that's a real, that's a real gift. But I thought Laura had some, she's going to talk to us and had some good insights too about how COVID and lockdown kind of changed the broadcast game. And that was really interesting to me to learn how they kind of persevered through the pandemic when everything previously was about being in the studio live. Totally. I mean, it made a lot of, it also honestly made a lot of our lives a little bit easier because the logistics of 
of being on air, you know, wasn't there anymore. Um, but yeah, Laura is amazing. She's lots of fun. She's one of what I would say, like a friend of comms. She understands how we work. She understands we got a job to do, we got a job to do. So let's do it. I am so excited about our guest today. She is the senior most field producer based in San Francisco for CNBC. Laura Batchelor is joining us today. She was previously at Bloomberg and before that, CNN. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to be here, guys. Laura and I met working together and then just kind of like struck up a friendship and have been working together for some time now. And we went out for a drink and I begged her to come on the podcast and she did. So here we are. That's how the podcast got started. Do you remember? Yeah, it's always over drinks. That's that's, that's basically yeah. how I get anything I want. I'll take you out for a drink <laughs> and ask you. Yeah, it's exciting to not ask questions. Big change. That's right. We're going to ask you the question. This is going to be awesome. First of all, you have to tell us how you got here, like how you got to this amazing job of being a very senior field producer. I've been here at CNBC for just over four years. And I've had a good run in broadcast news. Like you said, I started at CNN in New York on their assignment desk, which is sort of like the air traffic control. And you get to kind of, you know, learn all the ins and outs and all that crazy coordination that goes into putting on live TV. And there's like a lot of organization and teams and people that touch the product before it actually gets onto air. And so it was a really good place to like cut your teeth. Like, you know, is wonderful to kind of Pay your dues. dues. You know, there is a lot of grunt work, but it's like kind of the best way to learn. Um, But I was there for like six years in New York City and I kept hearing about all this cool stuff that was happening in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And I was like, I want to check this out. Like I either want to be in it or covering it. I'm going to go there and see what happens. So I left New York. I left CNN and moved to San Francisco kind of without a game plan. And just wanted to see what was going on. And I got out here and wait, did you go to San Francisco without a job? I did. Oh, love that. I love, you know, love that. I know. I mean, my my parents, (laughs) I don't think people do that anymore, but I love that. My parents were like, okay, and and you're leaving your good job to go somewhere where you don't have a job and tell me this is going to be a great why. But it worked out because Mm -hmm. I got here and, you know, you kind of do that like networking shuffle where you like email everyone, you know, and see who they know here. And you're just like, hi, like I'm new. And everyone's so lovely in California and so, so much more friendly and like has a little more time than New Yorkers in my personal experience. So I got here and landed at Bloomberg Television. And that was like my first foray into tech and finance. And it was, you know, a really good experience. They had um, Bloomberg West, which is now known as Bloomberg Technology. And so I got to work with Corey Johnson and Emily Chang and kind of really learn about the companies that are here, like the big ones, you know, Google and Facebook and Amazon and even though Amazon's in Seattle and also the startups and the ventures and like all that stuff. (laughs) So it was a great, great place to be. And then I got an opportunity to leave news and I took it. I went down to L.A. and worked for the Milken Institute and I worked on their programming team and it was fascinating and really exciting exciting and like so different. I learned a lot and I learned that I really, really love the excitement of journalism and especially live TV. I got an offer to come back to San Francisco and come join CNBC here and it's been great. 
ever since. It's been such a fun time to be covering tech these past four years. I did not know about the LA stint. I know. It was that's ex- that's it was a cool. one year detour. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe that's why I didn't know about it. But that's so awesome. Covering tech, you gotta tell us like it has got to be bonkers to cover tech right now. I mean, right now it is it is wild. I mean, there are like huge events, you know, the future of free speech could be like changed forever with Elon Musk at the helm of Twitter. Like there are big questions that need to be answered and we just don't know what's going to happen. It's so exciting. It's stressful because like stakes are high, but it's also really important to be here. Do you feel like just the pace, I I just feel like since the pandemic, you know, it's up and down and all around the pace of change has to be greater than even when you started at Bloomberg, right? I mean, do you see a difference in, you know, how quickly things change? I'm sure you've got a plan for the day, for the show that you're working on, and then all of a sudden it's ripped up, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was like, that's always like the case. I think, you know, working here, like, it's a, it's a different vibe in the sense that, like, our tech show right now is in the morning. It's on at 8 a.m. Pacific Tech Check. And so, you know, you plan for the next day, like, you know, you know, we plan for tomorrow's show today, but tomorrow, like when I wake up and like the East Coast team starts before me, but like when I wake up at like 4, 4.15, check my phone, you know, everything's different. You know, that's 4.15 here, it's 7.15 in New York. So much has happened by then. There's always tons of news breaking around six o'clock East Coast time. Um, and then I think in terms of like the current environment, you always have to be prepared to just throw the whole show out, throw the game plan out and start over because we want to cover the most important, most market moving stories that are out there. And so you can't be attached to your original game plan. You have to follow the news. You and I have worked together on times where like one of my CEOs was supposed to be on. And then the night before we're like, uh, Probably can't have him. I mean, one of them was like the war in Ukraine was starting. I was like, I don't want him on. You can't have him on. Like, we're good. I feel like that was like the first time in recent memory for me when we were watching a war conflict break out overseas. And there were like, oh, like there there could be real time ramifications over here. We got to see what the market is doing, like what's happening here. What is President Biden saying? You have to be able to like see that that's the biggest story of the day and having a tech CEO to talk about something else just wouldn't make sense in the show. And so you always have to say game plan changed. And, you know, we did that for several of our guests that were booked that day in in February. We had to be like, everything's going out. And and of course, everyone understood because it, it just made the most sense. But you know, it's been wild and like the market moves, you know, have just been really extreme and like volatile through the day. And, you know, you can have the market open and it'll totally change direction and either really plummet. There's been some updates recently, but it's been interesting. What did you guys do during COVID? What did the show do during COVID? Were people still coming in to do it or were they doing it from home? So COVID was wild. Because being in broadcast news, like you're always here in the studio, in the control room. And so here in San Francisco, we don't have a control room. We have a studio. Tech Check was started in April of 2021. So we launched Tech Check in the middle of the pandemic. It used to be Squawk on the Street, Squawk right? Alley. It used to be Squawk Alley. In the, or Squawk in the Alley, 11, sorry. Squawk in Alley. In yeah, Squawk yeah, Hour, yeah, East yeah. Coast time. So... When COVID happened in March 2020, we were like, okay, like everyone take their laptop home. 
all our on-air reporters had these things that we call podcasters that were simplified tablet on a stand and they had some lights. And so they could set up a home studio through their podcaster. And so everyone was just like, okay, we're going to go home. Everyone just work from home. We're going to reevaluate in a few weeks and like go from there because we, we really didn't have any clue. Well, because it was only supposed to be two weeks, right. like, as you as you know. Like it was everyone. <laughs> I like remember leaving mid-March being like, OK, well, I guess I'll see you guys in, in two weeks. And like, you know, walking out of the bureau and being like, OK, like, I think I think I'm coming back here. And then, you know, we were remote for I don't know the exact timeline, I think, for probably a solid year. And then Deirdre started to come in. She did the show on our like seven floor balcony here when we launched Tech Check. And it was like very slim, bare bones. It was just wild. You know what I think it helped though is like, I remember whenever we would have our CEOs on, like I would have to fly to Seattle because my CEO was in Seattle and we would do it from a, either we would fly to San Francisco or New York, or we would do like, we would go to like one of the studios, remote studios. And like, it was a whole thing. Now it's like my CEO just gets on Zoom and I don't have to fly anywhere. He doesn't have to fly anywhere. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> it's also like such a time change, right? Yeah. Like instead of being like you to take all the time to go to the studio, it's like, oh, just click the link, you know, 10 minutes before the scheduled interview. And then the interview will be about, you know, eight to 10 minutes. And so you only need to block off, you know, 20 minutes on your calendar. But like just speaking from like the technical perspective of like producing live TV, like, so when we go out into the field and Deirdre and I are doing a show or I'm with a reporter and we're doing live hits at some event, you know, I'm, I've had a career, you know, in my first job at CNN, we'd have to get a satellite truck and that satellite truck would have to come and have to park near the location. Then they'd have to run a cable from the truck to the camera. And now we basically have this little backpack called a Live U and it's literally just a backpack. It connects to you know cell signals or internet and we can be live almost anywhere it's amazing and so the technology that has changed in my career of like putting on tv has been like exciting and like changed the landscape it's you know unfortunately all the truck ops who had all those trucks like don't get booked as much (laughs) but like we can do things much more nimbly and like on the fly. I'm guessing too, though, that having guests over Zoom, it is convenient and maybe you can get more people, but it has to still be better to be live in the studio, I would think. Is it, do people still prefer that? I think live in person is always best. Being on Zoom, it's great, but there's something about being across from someone, you know, IRL, being able to gauge when the pause is going to be and when they can interject or when the reporter can push back a little bit more. Like there's such a much more natural conversation flow when everyone's together. The studio shots always look a little crisper, like you won't have audio issues as much. You know, live TV is not always perfect. There's always little snafus here and there. I've seen some really good interviews on Tech Track, especially like lately. I feel there's a very like, Tense might not be the right word, but the there's some drama <laughs> in tech. What are some of the things you've seen that have just been like super interesting or unforgettable? I always love to hear these stories. Fresh in my mind right now. And I'm like watching Andrew Ross Sorkin yesterday at Dealbook interview. Sam Bankman-Fried was really impressive. I thought he did a great job. It was a really good 
hard hitting, like held him accountable, pushed back and did a really, really good job. I think on tech check, you know, this whole collapse of FTX has been wild to watch and trying to get a better understanding from other CEOs of crypto exchanges. I think the whole team has done a great job of trying to, I don't want to say hold their feet to the fire, but to be accountable for what's going on on their platforms and if customers and investors are safe with their money there. Mm -hmm. On the other side of that, I've never seen so many embattled CEOs be so willing to go on air everywhere. I'm like, are you guys out of, I mean, like, this is great. Like to your point, accountability, hold the fire, like all day. I get it. But like, if you're a comms person or a lawyer or anyone on that side of the house, you're literally sitting here like, what the actual hell are you guys doing? Now, we are recording this in December. This will come out in a month. So like, we'll see where these guys all end up. But what are you finding when you're reaching out to these guys? Are they just like coming willingly? Are they reaching out to you? Like, how is this happening? I don't do all the booking for the show. So Sumit Bushetti does a lot of the booking for Tech Check, but they seem willing. And Deirdre did an interview, I think it was in 2021. So maybe it was 2020, but with the Tether CTO and their chief legal officer. I think we did about 30 minutes with them and they willingly came on. It wasn't like a hard negotiation. We kept asking and they said, yes, we haven't been able to get them on since. So, you know, (laughs) you did a good job, clearly. You clearly did too good of a job. I think crypto is, there's so much egoism and like intriguing going on that people are willing to talk. But like, I think people are starting to become more skittish. But, you know, we'll see what happens next with SPF. Yeah, there were a little too many interviews. I mean, on the same day that Dealbook was doing that interview, they were saying, and George Stephanopoulos is going to have him in the morning. And I was like, stop, just somebody stop him. Well, I, I mean, it's you got to wonder what his lawyers are saying if they're yes. even still going to represent That's, him. I mean, I I made a joke to someone. I was like, if he wasn't a criminal or probably going to jail, I'd hire him. This is some of the best PR I've ever seen. Like, how is this dude just landing all these interviews? What are you doing? Well, everybody wants to talk to him, but right. But should he be talking? Probably. Should he be talking? So, like, what's yeah. like yeah. all this stuff, you know, has been on the record. And so it will probably come out in court. You have to think. Yeah. And in the interview with his friend at Vox, right, that was the one I loved where he had the text exchange with his friend and he didn't realize he's I think he said, I forgot she was the reporter. I was shocked. I was like, what? Oh, wow. I forgot she was a reporter. (laughs) Well, that's right. Right. Exactly. I always talk about this where people are like and off the record and they'll just start talking. And I'm like, that's a two way street, guys. (laughs) You can't just say it. And then it's like it's like saying no offense before you say an insult. Like no offense. Last season, we had Nairi on the show, the head of comms at Figma, and we had this whole show on the malpractice of PR, which we like to call stupid shit that PR people do. What I was thinking was it would actually be helpful. I think the way that you like work with broadcast producers is way different than how you would pitch or talk to like print or online producers, obviously. Uh, I'm not sure that all of our corporate comms brethren understand that. I figured like maybe this could be a fun PSA from your friend Laura on how to pitch a broadcast. How to pitch TV and how it's different than print. 
a little news you can use. (laughs) First and foremost, when you're trying to pitch TV, you should watch the program or know your audience, right? So if you're trying to pitch Tech Check, you're going to try to pitch Deirdre, and you pitch a story about, you know, tree planting, which has happened, (laughs) know that like, yes, it is a nice story and there is a good cause, but that's not going to be a good fit. Yeah, yeah. It's not that we're anti-tree planting. Um, It's just that, do you really think that type of uh, story will get on a show that's about, you know, tech stocks and what's going on in investing in technology companies? Like, there was definitely a disconnect, but A, like, kind of know what you're going to pitch to. The second is to keep it super short. TV is, like, so quick and snappy. Keanu, when you would pitch me, it would be, like, three sentences max, maybe just like a few keywords. And it was like so great because I was like, oh, I'm intrigued. Or I'd, and I text back, tell me more. Or I'd pick up the phone and call you. I don't need to have a full-fledged one-page pitch with all the info I would ever need on it. I kind of need to know what's the headline? Why does it matter to the broader industry? If it's not a public company, can it be pegged to other public companies that can like speak to the broader sector? I was going to ask you about public companies because, you know, I work at a venture capital firm. So our portfolio companies are, of course, private and they are not publicly traded. And so I always tell them, I'm like, look, CNBC is about trading, right? And a lot of the audience wants, you know, tips that they can use. So how important is that? I mean, there's still room to talk about broader tech trends, right, which might have implications for publicly traded stocks. Totally. And a lot of private companies one day do go public. So it's important. Like, I really like connecting with private companies because eventually one day they will matter to us. Like Figma, that was a private company. And we talked about them a lot, you know, after that leading up to the deal with Adobe. You know, my colleague had that great piece, um, Jordan Novet, that kind of foreshadowed it a little bit. And so I think that even though private companies, they're not going to be, you know, front and center, but there is a place to have a relationship with reporters and producers at CNBC because we want to know what's coming down the pipeline. And a lot of times these private companies are disrupting the public market players. So like, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what you're doing. Let's talk about how you're challenging the incumbents. And, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. I think like the best relationships I have with PR professionals are ones that go beyond the booking requirements. They're the ones where I can ask them for what's going on and like what's happening right now. I get some insight into like some trend that I'm seeing in the field or if I don't understand something, you know, let's talk about it. And, you know, vice versa, they can call me and be like, hey, I think I might have some news. I'm not sure if it's a fit for you. Can we talk about it? I think, you know, that way it's more of a two-way street and it's a little bit deeper. It's not as transactional. And so we get something out of it. You and I have had conversations where I'm like, I think this could be it. And and then it did like it it ended up not being a fit, which was totally fine. Um, but like it was kind of beneficial for you and I to just sort of have that discussion. And sometimes like other things would come out of it. And it was, I think it was good. I think the biggest PSA is like, don't pitch your feature update to, to tech check. Like tech companies hear me, <laughs> hear me out. I mean, it's like future updates are cool and interesting, but we always want to think about how does this impact yeah. the investor? And so if it's like a future update that's going to unlock all this revenue potential, 
you know, pitch it with that angle, I'd suggest. But I love a good update as much as ever anyone, but it needs to have like a little bit more of like a bite to it. That's actually a really smart way to do it, like revenue updates, things like that. Laura, I know you and I have talked about this like in the past, but I feel like you have some really good stories of just stuff that only can happen on live TV. Sometimes my job is like a little bit crazy and there have been some kooky moments. I remember one time when I was at Bloomberg, we were outside the Vanity Fair new establishment summit in like 2015, 2016. And, you know, Emily Chang, Bradstone, they're anchoring the show. They had Stuart Butterfield on live interview happening on TV. And Jared Leto decided to walk up and interrupt our live interview just to say hi to uh, Mr. Stuart Butterfield because he was an investor and wanted to say hi. And that was like in the moment, you know, there was this really like crazy moment in that era when everyone was so into what was coming out of San Francisco and all the tech scenes. Mm -hmm. And there was just like this culture between New York and Hollywood and Silicon Valley. It was like the trifecta. That was when (laughs) Silicon Valley, that wasn't that when the show was out too, by the way, like that was, yes, that was the height of Silicon Valley guys. That was when we peaked. We, what are you talking about? You live in Denver. Stop saying we. Right. Well, (laughs) yeah. I don't, have you ever lived in San Francisco or the Bay? No, no, that's why. She just pretends. She kind of pretends she has. I fly in, I do my thing and I go back and I put my ski beanie on and I go become like a Colorado bro. Oh my God. And like, I think there's other funny things. Deirdre and I have done some shoots like on the sidewalk in San Francisco. And there are always some interesting characters when you're doing anything on the sidewalk of downtown San Francisco. And so we were outside one day, she's co-anchoring the show from the field. And I see a man carrying a giant boom box speaker. And I like think to myself, I'm like, okay, well, at least the speaker's not on. Deirdre kind of sees it out of the corner of that, her eye. She's aware. And we kind of like make eye contact, like, okay, we're okay. And the moment he gets really close to her, like to pass, you know, right next to her, he like blasts was it music. 90s rap though <laughs> like that's only good if he was because that would have been a positive rap. for that the show great. really 90s yeah rap. let's yeah. do it i know but you gotta worry about like music rights you know oh, oh that's i didn't right. even think about that i mean half the time i'm just happy when they're clothed in san francisco i mean <laughs> I yeah, yeah. There are, there's some I mean, is- yeah some issues yeah, there's there's some issues you know we were in vancouver and our photographer's pants caught on fire <laughs> Please tell me you started saying liar, liar, pants on fire. For real. How did they catch on fire? How does that happen on a shoot? Again, staking out courthouse, the Huawei CFO was detained in Canada and they were trying to extradite her to the U.S. Oh, that's right. So here we were in Vancouver outside of court, pouring December in Vancouver, very cold. And so our photographer had been out there all day, just the greatest he had tons of rain gear on. He even had a portable space heater. So it was like this little space heater that was like right by his feet. And so we're standing there and something starts to smell like it's burning. And we look down and his, the ankle of his Gore-Tex rain pants were smoking. (laughs) Luckily he like stomped it out, (laughs) clapped it out. It was totally fine. And he had no burns, very safe, but he had Stood too close to the little space heater and almost wow caught on fire completely. 
Thank you so much for joining us. This has been so amazing. We love watching the show. Thank you for producing such an amazing, amazing outlet for tech on CNBC. Thanks for joining us. Great being with you guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Just Checking In. Follow us at at Kiana Corliss and at Rebecca Buckman. Just Checking In is a StudioPod media production. Our producer is Teresa Buchanan, and our show coordinators are Nicole Genova and Alex Karkos.